just start really small. Start super small and like as bare minimum costs as you can Mm -hmm. and then grow. Just keep doing this thing and you will then start noticing, oh, well, I don't really actually like writing about this or starting to kind of hit some kind of a groove. But if you, I just find like, if you keep waiting and thinking like, well, should I write about this or should I do this? Or should I, like, if you don't try anything and you kind of keep getting locked in this thing, well, one, you're never going to do it. Welcome back to the Me Search podcast, a podcast that aims to educate, encourages you to participate and evaluate. So I want you to walk away with some new knowledge, be inspired to be a participant in your own life and evaluate your opinions, your goals and your position in your life. I want you to think about what is possible by learning through other people who are living out their purpose or who are chasing down excellence. Today, my conversation is with one of my favorite people on this planet, Alicia Onifruchuk. Alicia and I met while we were both teaching at the lab or formerly Moksha in the West Shore on Vancouver Island. She quickly became not only one of my favorite teachers, but also one of my favorite people. And I really got to know her well when we spent a good chunk of time actually talking about running a yoga studio together, along with with two other really great people. Alicia started a class at the studio called Sweat and Stretch. And every time she had a class on the schedule, the place was so busy. It was packed. So you had to show up early if you were going to get a quote unquote good spot in the room. Um, And rightfully so, her classes were so good. They had great music. She has great energy. Um, The class had great energy. And of course, Alicia is just an amazing person to be around. So (laughs) one of the things I think of when I think of Alicia is I remember I had to start filling in on some of those classes and just seeing and really feeling the disappointment of students when they'd walk in into the studio and see me <laughs> when they were expecting to see Alicia uh, just really goes to show, you know, how much people really loved being around her and loved going to her classes. Alicia is one of the most kind, genuine, and authentic people I know. She truly represents grace. People gravitate towards her because she really cares. She really listens and she can make you feel like you are the most important person in the room, even when that room is full of 50 other sweaty yogis. (laughs) So I wish I had a high quality video that I could show you of this conversation because so much of how 
Alicia communicates is in her facial expressions, her hand gestures, her body movements. Uh, So unfortunately, you get this sort of one-dimensional version, but if you do anything, go find her on Instagram, and I'm going to spell all that out for you at the end, but it's Alicia Onifrachuk, and I had to actually ask her... (laughs) how to pronounce her name properly because I find it really hard to say. But if you go onto her Instagram, you're going to be able to see this huge smile that she has, um, how her, her eyes tend to smile and just get to be a part of this little journey that she's on. So in this conversation today, Alicia and I really dive into her life. Like we went deep and I really found this conversation fascinating because I have lived on the premise, not always, but a lot, that past behavior predicts future behavior. But what I really came to realize during this conversation is that does not always apply. And as Alicia tells her life story, essentially, it really becomes apparent that we have the ability to change, we have the ability to grow, and we have the ability to become an entirely different person. So who you are isn't always who you will be. So we talked about Alicia's upbringing, how the specific is universal, pivoting, her writing process, challenge, change, and growth. And I love the saying, prophets walk among us. And I really feel that with Alicia. And I hope that you can glean some insights, some information from listening to Alicia's life and really how she has moved through it. And then as always, at the end of this conversation, I'll just add a few thoughts on one of the topics that Alicia brings up in this conversation. All right, so here we go with Alicia Onifershuk. Like say the professional, like, hi, Megan. It's so nice to be here. It's so nice to see you. I will just say professional intro. Jamie, the literally the first thing he said to me once we were recording, he was like, I love how it shows you can just leave meetings. It like pops up as soon as you're recording and says leave meeting. And he's like, nah, screw you. Uh, so, <laughs> so don't worry on the, the non-profesh front. Honestly, we haven't even seen each other literally since I left Victoria now that I'm thinking about it yeah since you moved and so how many years is that I think I'm I think I've been here for two years now which is so weird because I feel like because I follow you on Instagram that I am really not that disconnected from your life but I'm it's sort of just like dawning on me right now that I really haven't we had a couple emails but we really haven't had a conversation since oh, Victoria two years ago. Yeah, that's crazy. And back when, I mean, we were both at the West Shore, which you're no longer there. No. 
no. So and I'm no longer there either. <laughs> I'm like confirming. Yeah, that's confirming. So basically how I ho- I'm hoping to sh- structure this flow as much as it is a conversation. I don't want to talk about me. I- I'm going to ask you questions all the time. So sometimes I feel like it's an interview and, but, and it kind of is, I guess. So, uh, so how I would like to flow through it is sort of move back first. So go back and sort of talk about, you know, previous Alicia, who you were before this moment, and then up until this moment. And then I have some like specific questions because you are doing a lot of really interesting things in your life, I, I think. And <laughs> you have a, <laughs> I think you have a lot of really interesting, not only interesting, but fun and intelligent knowledge and facts that you're sort of passing on daily and then and the mediums that you're doing that so and so that's how I I would like to flow through this if that is good with you oh yeah that's totally cool okay Okay, so uh, I've asked this question to everyone the very first question and essentially I like to think of of a life as like chapters and so if you had to divide your life up into chapters what would you call the very first chapter of your life and that can be any years that you want okay well I just read We Are All Perfectly Fine by Dr. Jillian Horton. (laughs) And so that's definitely um, influencing this title. But I think it would be something like, if I just do it perfectly, everything will be fine. That would be from fourth year university going into my second semester. That was like a really big shift from fourth year, first semester, like earlier into childhood. So you were, you were a perfectionist? Very much so. (laughs) Yeah. I was like very typical type A. And it's like, it's even weird for me to say I was because I still kind of feel like I am. Um, But I remember, I think, I don't know if it was at like a yoga teacher training or I don't know, just sometime like that Ted Grand was around and he... (laughs) I don't, I honestly, like, it's so, I don't even remember what we're talking about, but somehow I still remember that I said like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm type A. And he was like, he just gave me this look like, what the fuck are you talking about? Oh yeah. Can I, you want me to, (laughs) it's It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Um, and, and, uh, he was like, I don't know if a type A person could have been with the unknown that you were going through and he's like I kind of think you're more like a type b or a type b plus (laughs) and that I felt like oh well who I am as a kid or you know teenager whatever like that is just me forever before really cluing into like oh okay maybe you can actually change what does the type A look like to you in those years? Like what, what, what were you doing that made you think that you were type A? A lot of just, I wanted the highest mark in the class. And like, I was super competitive of, no, I need to have the highest mark. I need to be the best. And I remember like getting mad at an A minus kind of thing. And going back to... This is maybe more neurotic than (laughs) type A, but I remember in grade four when we started writing, you know, making the transition away from pencils into pens. And I had like 
finished writing. It was a book report or something. No, it was, um, we were reading a book as a class and it was like every night or, you know, every few days, whatever you got the assignment where you had to do a chapter synopsis. Did you ever have to do that? No, I don't think so. Elementary schools. Just a <laughs> I don't think so. That sounds like a lot of work to be honest, but yeah. Was, you know, this teacher, she was a really tough teacher. She's the only reason I know any multiplication tables because she was, she was just wild. So I had written this chapter synopsis and I had gotten towards the end of the page and I made a mistake, whether it was like spelling mistake or just like kind of like didn't make a proper letter, whatever. And I thought whiteout looked really sloppy because it showed that you had made a mistake. So I rewrote the entire thing. That's so, that's so interesting. I have a couple of things to say. One, so type A, would you say, so were you competitive in all aspects or just competitive in marks? I feel like there's a part of me where I'm like, what else was there to life other than marks? <laughs> um, I wasn't a sporty kid. Like my parent, you know, I, my parents put me into, like I started skiing when I was three and, and dance and um, they tried to like, you know, be like, oh, here's like a toy boat and like tools and stuff. And I was like, eh, I don't really care about those things. Yeah. Um, and so I honestly can't really think what else I was competitive about because I can't really think what else there was to like. What was important for you? What do you think made you hold yourself to that standard? I honestly, I don't know. So I'm first born. So that's maybe something. I think I was just always like both my parents tell me this. So I'm like, okay, it's not just one of them making a story, but they both say like, ever since I was a little kid, I would want to know the result of something before I did it. So I would ask like, okay, well, if I do this, what's going to happen? Do you think that's, is that risk aversion? What do you think? What is that? Do you think? So I think it is, yeah, there's definitely risk aversion. And then the other side to it was that, you know, they could tell me like, okay, don't put your hand on the hot glass in front of the fireplace. Like you'll burn yourself. Whereas like my sister was like, (laughs) I'm not listening to you. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think, yeah, risk aversion, but then mixed into like, I want to know what's going to get me the result that I want. And if it's not going to get me the result that I want, then I don't care about doing it. Right. And what was the complete end result that you wanted? Was it, were you after a career? Were you just after your name at the top of the list of, of marks? Or do you know what you were sort of searching for? Yeah, I honestly, I don't real, I don't know. I go back of like, what was it? And I think my dad, I think my dad was really, um, he just didn't really know what to do with little kids. (laughs) Well, first job, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and well, and my sister's three years younger. And so he, it was like, kind of, and we were girls. And he (laughs) was like a very, well, is like a very kind of like 
man's man. Like he likes mechanics. And I was like, I don't, I have no interest in like that kind of thing. And so there was for a lot of years, we were just kind of like passing ships. Yeah. Whereas my mom, we had this like super close relationship, but it was, and she was like super praise all the time of like, and it wasn't just about only about good marks. It was like everything, but it was kind of like, but I want to be praised for being the best. Right. Like if she um, praised like the process, like the, the skill, or if she praised like the, the innate characteristic of being something. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think, I feel like it was more results focused. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, it's so funny that you say hard worker. Cause I was just listening to a podcast earlier today and I was like, I hated being called a hard worker because in my mind it was like hard worker was it was like you it still wasn't being the best like I just wanted to be the best and working hard I was like oh that's like someone saying like you're such a good person I'm like yeah. that doesn't mean anything yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and were you like did you reach you're, you know, I mean, were you top of the top marks or would you say you were constantly, not constantly, but, you know, dealing with the upset of getting that A minus or were like, were there maybe it was like ebbs and flows, like you were highs and then lows getting a B or whatever it is, or getting not the highest mark. Yeah, I would say, well, then, um, I was definitely like top of the class, um, for a long time. And even like teachers, you know, like I was also the super quiet, shy, like, yeah. like painfully shy. Um, and, you know, teachers would always be like, you know, we would love for Alicia to, to contribute more. And I was like, <laughs> and, um, but then in high school, when there's, you know, you're sort of starting to specialize a little bit. Yeah. Um, there was a point where I was like, okay, I either will be a doctor or I'll be a journalist or mm, maybe I'll do something with fine arts. And grade 11 math killed me. Oh, I hate math. Yeah. It, it like, I, it was so bad. I... I can't remember if I had a math tutor in grade nine. And maybe this is where hard worker, where I am actually coming back to, but I tried so hard. I did all the extra homework and like, you know, I didn't cheat by like looking in the back of the book and just writing that stuff down. And I had a tutor and like, I still just did not get it. And this was multiple grades and then grade 11 math. I was like, I, I just, I can't do this. I feel like all my math teachers, they felt bad for me. Cause it's like, you can see this person is trying so hard yeah. and they just aren't getting there. And so then I was like, okay, well, I won't be a doctor then because I can't do math. Yeah. Um, and sorry, I just want to ask, what do your parents do for a living? Oh, so my dad, well, my dad is 10 years older than my mom. So he's retired. He's 70. Um, And he 
so when I was a little kid, so my parents got divorced when I was in grade seven, well, they separated and then the divorce was years. In grade four, my mom went back to school. So sorry, I'm like all over the place. No, no, I'm I'm tracking, I'm tracking. (laughs) My mom, when I was little, um, so she was like a stay-at-home mom. Every once in a while, like she would kind of have like little odd not odd jobby stuff but like she got into like selling kids clothes okay and kids only like kind of like um all the little multi-level marketing that's going on right now (laughs) but one of her friends like sold Avon and so she did that and my dad I'm like what did he he was a business guy he sold caskets like funeral yeah um my granddad was so my mom's dad was a funeral director owned funeral homes at one point and then got into selling caskets so also death was always around but never talked about yeah um and but to, to finish the question and then my dad I guess I was in grade three, he decided, oh my gosh, this is super stressful. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to become a transport truck driver. And he went and he made a lot of money doing what he did before. And he went and he bought a transport truck in cash and became a transport truck driver. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when you say like you were sort of two ships passing, he would have Mm -hmm. been on the road a lot yeah so when he was in sales he was wearing a suit and sometimes would be out the door before my sister and I would be like downstairs for breakfast and then he would come home sometimes at dinner time sometimes it was after and then on weekends it was always like he was you know weeding the garden or like doing odd job stuff Mm -hmm. um and my mom was the one who like took us around to everything and um when she was a stay-at-home mom she every day we would go home for lunch from school and she would ask like okay so what would you like for lunch and she was she really um like my sister and I were her life she put everything into us and at the time I just thought oh like you know I don't have anything really to compare this to and now I'm like that is so fucking crazy (laughs) it's like it's so like it was to the point where dinners because I we ate a lot of frozen vegetables and so I I liked corn or sorry I liked peas and my sister liked corn And so my mom would make both of those. And then sometimes like entirely two different dinners for my sister and I. And sometimes that was actually three different dinners because it was one for her and my dad and then one for my sister and then one for me. And I just thought that's, that's what everybody does. Yeah. And then you grow up and you're like, well, yeah, I can see why there were some issues here. Yeah. When did, when do you think you realized, did you have a go over to a friend's house and you were like, oh, your parents don't make, or your mom doesn't make meals for everybody? Like, or when did that, or was it like your adult life sort of reflecting back? 
I think as a kid, I was more like, oh, I love that I get to eat what I like to eat. Because we were also um, like, you know, manners and being polite was super drilled into us. Yeah. So it was, you know, every, I can still hear my mom saying it of when we would go out the door to a friend's house and it's like, remember to say please and thank you. And remember that it doesn't matter what they feed you you eat it yeah oh my like, god that's so yeah and that it's like this you know uh so I remember going and being like oh thank god my mom does not make that because I <laughs> do not like that or the, you know sometimes it was like honestly a lot of the time I don't think I even noticed because it was like oh we were having pizza or very kid-friendly foods yeah um I mean I grew up in a town where there were a lot of stay-at-home moms and it was I don't know I honestly just think as a kid there were a lot of things I didn't see like I just didn't think of and then reflecting back I'm like oh yeah that was fucked up (laughs) yeah yeah honestly there's like oh it's so funny there's so many parallels between your childhood in mine. I, and I just, I'm just going to rattle them off really quickly, but I was also like super shy. I was so shy. Erin and I had a language and, um, she would speak on my behalf. Oh, but, um, I wasn't a go-getter in school like you, but like the, in terms of our parents, like my dad was always working and, you know, seven days a week again, he, yeah, he'd be off by like the, our store opened at 8 a.m. And as a child, you're not up at 8 a.m. And like you struggle to get out of bed to get to school on time. And then he's home late at night. So my mom literally dedicated her whole life. And at the time you're like, well, this is normal. And then you're like, whoa, like she did everything for us. So it's just interesting as you're like going through these little sections of your life. I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like my childhood. Yeah. I mean, it's the like, um, I recently just heard, I think it was Monica Padman. I don't think it was Armchair Expert though. Maybe it was, but she said the specific then becomes the universal. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And at that, I was like, Ooh, yeah. Um, but I, before I forget, I was the worst sleeper, like until I was 13, (laughs) I did not sleep through the night and I would go and I would wake my mom up to then tuck me back into bed. Oh yeah. So were you just scared? I, um, okay. Well, so I, I remember being really little and I'm thinking, holy shit, if I were my mom, I would be like this child, I need to like go and give her to someone because this is freaking me out. But I remember, so the other thing is sometimes I would, you know, I would also want my mom to lay down in bed with me. So there was this, like, I think this fear and having her close was, you know, security and comfort and everything. And also probably, you know, not the healthiest attachment style. Um, But that's what it was for. Wait, sorry. Can I just ask, is it, were your parents already separated at this point? No. Okay. So your parents, so you still have like both parents around full time. Yes. Except for your dad um, is busy. Okay, got it. Yes. Yeah. So this is yeah back when 
we're all together and maybe like around grade one-ish or kindergarten. But so on one of the trips uh, back to my room, you know, she's talking me in. Okay, she's lying down with me. I'm like, mom, do you ever think about like, okay, so when we die and we get buried, because we were also funeral casket family. So it's burials. Yeah. So I'm like, so if you don't have a headstone and it's a hundred years later, people could literally be walking around on top of you and not know that you're there. Wow. So how are people going to know that I was alive? And this is like in the middle of the night. And my mom is like, Alicia, it's fine. Just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. So do you remember that conversation or did she relay that back to you at some point? Oh no, this is, I remember because I thought about this a lot and not being scared, like not in this, like, oh my God, what's going to happen? But just this like, huh, do I need to do something that's important enough so that people remember me? Because what if I don't have a headstone? You're having an existential crisis. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane to even have the ability to think that far ahead, to be able to know that you're going to die. Because like a lot of young kids, I mean, I know that it was sort of around, but a lot of the young kids don't really even understand what that means. So the fact that you understand what it means, you understand that you're going to be underground and then like leaving a legacy so people remember you. Like that's, that's crazy. Yeah, crazy. I, I feel like, I was, (laughs) I was very average, like, just like a whatever, like, you know, picking your nose kid. And then I was like, man, I was also like, really weird. Asking hard questions. (laughs) So has that been something that you have always carried with you? You know what I mean? Like leaving a legacy? Does that play on your mind? Because even journalism you know, I mean, you're leaving something behind for people after you're gone. Yeah, I think I, for a really long time, was so focused on, okay, what am I going to accomplish so that people can talk about it so that there's some legacy to it. Like, it's not just going to be around for five minutes, that it's worth something yeah. to carry on for however long. And I then, I think that that, it really, it just really fucked with me for of this being so consumed with, okay, well, what am I going to do? And putting all this focus on the meaning of your life being your legacy. And I, fe- I think like in the last couple of years, what am I doing this for? I'm not actually even enjoying my day-to-day life. And then what, I'm going to get to how, whatever age I am that I die yeah. and who knows when that's going to be. And am I actually going to look back and be proud or excited or, you know, have any emotion around the life that I lived or will it just be like, oh yeah, I did that thing. I checked that box. Yeah. Did that conversation you had with yourself that happened recently or did that happen in that first chapter oh no that was um you're not ahead of all of us (laughs) um 
Um, no, it was, I think it's been a lot of going through life and having different experiences and kind of bumping up to this like, oh, so I guess, so my next chapter, if I were to, to title it, it would be like, I thought I wanted this, but now I don't. So now what? Right. What is this? Is that the success? Is that the being the best? Is that, or is that the career or what, what is, what are you referring to when you say that? Um, I think, so that's, I never actually thought about that until this moment. I think um, in each of these, it was very specific. I thought I wanted to be a curator at a gallery, at an art gallery, get my, my Bachelor of Fine Arts, my BFA. And in going into my second semester of fourth year, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I don't, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to finish but very then in this floaty space of like, okay, what am I going to do now? Okay. I just spent four years and then all the years prior to that, because it was like really drilled into us as kids, was, you're going to university, that yeah. there are no other options. And so it's like, okay, I did it, but now what do I do? Because I don't feel like I have any more clarity and I don't feel like an adult. and oh my God, all of a sudden I need to like make a decision and figure it out. Yeah. Sorry, can I just ask? So do you think I just, I'm just really stuck on your marks. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like, uh, do you think that you wanted to get such good marks because your parents were drilling you, you need to get to university and in order to get to university, you needed to have these good marks or, or is that even? I honestly didn't even, um, okay. So there's like a part of me that, I'm like, I feel, I don't think I had a sheltered growing up existence, but I didn't even connect to the thought that my marks impacted my entrance to right. university. Oh, it was just like, oh, it's, you know, whether you want to say it's like entitlement or whatever, yeah. but it was like, yeah, I'm going. Right. I remember in grade 11 reps from different universities yeah. coming like a and, then, and then reps from colleges. And so I fully thought, I mean, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. I fully thought that colleges were just universities in the States. I didn't know what a Canadian college was. Right. <laughs> and, and so I sat in. Yeah. And some of them, and I'm like, this is amazing. It's two years instead of four years. And like, oh, it's this other. And I go home, and my mom is like, that's a different thing, and you don't go there. You right. go to university. College is for other people if and that's what they want to do. It's so, it's like you, the, the relationships that you're living through in the moment, then when you start learning of like, you know, your parents' history and like the things that they went through growing up and like the things that was then trickled down from their parents. And I mean, Dan hates when I use the word epigenetics because he's like, it's not genetics. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but I'm like, okay, inherited traits, if we want to say that, and how like a trait can be, can move through the bloodline yeah but it can also change 
So where maybe someone has, you know, around money and they want to like hold it. It's like, maybe that's you with your love or, you know, whatever it is. It's like, I definitely, there were a very good number of years where it was super challenging with one parent and then it switched and it was really challenging with another. And sometimes it was challenging with both of them. (laughs) And, um, it's like, and relationships also change so much. And I feel like becoming an adult, growing up is also this like, okay, not to turn a blind eye or anything to what happened earlier, Yeah. but it's just like, okay, I can understand it now. Mm-hmm. And I can also see how like, some of those traits that I really don't like in you are also in me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you said you had a really good relationship with your mom. How has your relationship with your mom changed as, as she has sort of gone through these big changes in her life? Um, yeah. So it definitely shifted. And I remember, oh my God. I remember her um, writing her notes and leaving them on her pillow that I hated her and I did not want to talk to her because I knew she would then come and want to talk about the note with me. And I was like, no, I don't want to talk to you. I just (laughs) want to tell you that I hate you. And um, so it felt like I could do that with her. And at the same time, I knew she would like always come to my door. Yeah. And be like, I got your note. And that went on for quite a while. That went on for years. Um, and then there was like definitely turmoil or a tumultuous relationship for, yeah, a, a good chunk. And then I think when I got into high school it was like also this shift of just wanting to spend more and more time with friends and really starting to shift my attention away from what I felt was like her craziness yeah and then I really kind of stepped into this okay everyone else is losing their shit in my family but I I'm going to be the one who holds it together. Right. And I'm going to be the one that everyone can depend on. And I'm going to make everything seem to everyone else like my family isn't fucking crazy. Right. And um, that, I think actually maybe that started a little earlier. I think in high school, it was kind of off the charts. Yeah. Um, And then that like, pushed me even more into this get the good grades like make like you know the whole like everything looks good from the outside yeah yeah totally don't throw stones at glass at glass houses and to the outside it like it did look perfect and like even I remember my parents marriage like they never fought in ever and but that was also an issue is that it was almost transactional yeah relationship and um yeah then when I left to go to university 
feel like that's when stuff with my mom started to come back in. Um, and I don't know if it was just like we had space or that, you know, I think the other reality is at that point she had a toddler. And so things were for in her world also calming down. There was a, then a big issue between my mom and my dad of, of how, who was going to pay for university and who like, or how it was going to be split and all of this stuff. Yeah. And so then things with my dad, because then I was kind of like on my mom's side of like, exactly. yeah, we were raised to, that we were supposed to go to university. My dad was like, who said that? And I'm like, <laughs> you are such a full of shit. <laughs> and so with my dad, that was like, oh, that was so hard for so many years. Um, and I think the other thing was that with my dad, we didn't really have this solid base to yeah. to go back to. So it's honestly been, I think, just in growing up that then I have this relationship with him and also just coming to the terms of like with both of my parents, like, okay this is you as a person and I can't necessarily change you. Yeah. And it's like, okay, there's definitely things like, you know, pretending that everything is fine when clearly it's not <laughs> a giant fucking issue. Um, but it's also, I can still have a relationship with you. It can be on my terms and like navigating all of that. Um, yeah, that definitely took a long freaking time. <laughs> so I am the one to call both of my parents. Like they never call me. There might be a week that goes by and I'm like, you know, I, this has been a really hard week. I just can't fucking do it. I'm yeah. not calling my dad. Yeah. I'm not doing it. That's like, and, and it's, I mean, to say fine, it's fine. Like it is okay. Like it doesn't have to be this, um, well, so-and-so like their relationship with their dad, they're so close and they're so whatever. Yeah. And it's like, that's great for them. That's awesome. Like it doesn't have to be, oh, a parent and child, their relationship, like this is how it's supposed to look. And it's always supposed to look like that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think your parents taught you or like what aspects of yourself do you see do, or do you see your parents in yourself? Does that make sense? Um, oh, okay. Well, I definitely can see some not great traits. That's like immediately. Um, I mean, so to go back to like the type A part of very nitpicky that trait of I want to nitpick like yeah I can like point out all my parents flaws that are also in me <laughs> yeah. um I'm this way because of you so my dad is hard worker to a T yeah um and I think the persistence consistency and maybe even like a little bit of integrity where it's like do what you say you're gonna do yeah and my mom, I think, of showing people 
affection and showing like, and like really supporting people and telling them how, what they're doing and, and that you're paying attention yeah. um, and that you're actually paying attention. And it's not just this like, oh yeah, I'm on my phone and I'm having this conversation with you. Like it's giving yourself dedicated time. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to, I want to circle back to you saying the second chapter of your life saying you, you're giving, you thought you wanted this, but you don't or something. It was something along those lines. So we've sort of talked about, you know, how your family has made you who you are, but you had this chapter in your life where I guess an epiphany of maybe reevaluating what you want out of life. And you said that you kind of gave up the whole fine arts being part of the gallery. Like what else in that era did you start sort of reevaluating? You thought you wanted fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, I, I always thought, like, I thought, I think how I define success, even though at the time I wouldn't have been able to, to put it that way, but like, I grew up thinking, okay, well, I've got to make, like, I have to make six figures and I have to have my own car and my partner is going to have their own car. And then maybe we have another car and, you know, we've got to have this style of house and in this area and listing all these things. And after university, I didn't know what I was going to do. I also, um, shopping had become a coping mechanism in university. And, um, like it could be, it could be anything. It could be buying lip balm. It could also be going and buying a leather jacket. And, right. and coping with university testing stress is it is it around marks or is it just around like, um it's around yeah there's definitely like still wanting to be the best issues yeah um and then you know there's the part where um I'm kind of being the in-between I I don't think anyone intended or you know put me in this position but I went there where I was the go between in between my parents and then also between my sister and my parents right so I felt like you know kind of the like here I'm gonna like I'm gonna fix yeah everybody else's shit and then and then just being like this not regulated girl being in a relationship and and like just just the like mind games i remember doing of yeah. like oh like you're going out but um i wanted to talk to you tonight even though we didn't make a plan to do that but yeah. i wanted to talk to you tonight so i'm going to keep calling you until you pick up this is with dan your dan right now yeah. okay yes. this is with dan and we were both like, we were both shitty to one another at different times. Just, you know, like all the, all the regular, you're growing up and you are shitting the bed at doing it at times. I think it was, I think going along the lines of wanting to be the fixer um, was also like want of wanting attention, of wanting to be needed. Yeah. Definitely, I was crazy jealous 
um, with with Dan, like if I saw him talking to another girl, I'm immediately like looking at the girl and being like, okay, am I prettier than her or is she prettier than me? And like doing all of this. And then it's also like, okay, well, you know, is she getting good grades or is she not? And like, yeah, yeah. you know, where is, where am I yeah. fitting in terms of her? And uh, like just very not helpful or healthy yeah. stuff. How did you work through that? Like that's a that's a big thing the 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 jealousy and especially like a relationship that I mean you guys have grown and changed and you have together and probably separately but um, how how did you overcome doing constantly doing that or maybe you haven't I don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, I honestly I really like I can't pinpoint an exact thing because I think it was so just just work over a long yeah. period of time. And I think feeling secure played into a really big piece of that, of being able to trust. Yeah. Um, and Dan and I were, so I was in Toronto, he was in Guelph, um, which isn't like crazy long distance, but it's still like there would be times where you know, we're not seeing one another for a month or more. And then he also did a couple stints at Michigan State. He was in a co-op program. So mm -hmm. he went and worked in the lab there and then he went to Winnipeg. So it was kind of like he was bopping around a little bit mm -hmm. when we were in university. A lot of it honestly was like learning how to actually self-regulate yeah and I think maybe the first turning point was learning how to have a fight that wasn't an explosion yeah and that was constructive and where I didn't scream and slam the door and drive off right yeah and that's interesting because like you wouldn't have had uh, like any modeling because you see your parents didn't fight so, so you so you wouldn't have even had something to try to mimic. But so with the self-regulation, did did that come from yoga? Did that come from or what, like how at that because you would have been in your 20s? Yeah. Young, young 20s. Yeah. I mean, learning to self-regulate and not have those explosions, like that's a skill in itself. But I could probably still use some skill. <laughs> <laughs> that's like it is like a an hourly practice. Yeah. Um, it, I feel like, yeah, it was, it was kind of like almost the perfect storm in a way of, okay, so Dan and I finished university and both of us were like, what the fuck do we do with these degrees? I don't know. <laughs> so let's go to Australia on a working holiday visa. And in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, we're going to like work around the country and I'll just like lie on a beach for <laughs> a year and it's going to be so easy. And it's going to be so fun. And we'll just stay in hostels. Um, yeah, that did not happen that way. <laughs> and we had never lived together. And within two weeks, well, I mean, Dan has an aunt and uncle in Australia. And so we had stayed with them for like a week-ish when we first landed. And then two weeks later, we quickly realized, 
hostels were so expensive and we could not do this. And I had like just finished, you know, paying off my Canadian credit cards. And so we decided, okay, we're going to buy a station wagon and we're going to live out of it. (laughs) We find, and this is also, I had never really camped. (laughs) And oh my gosh, that trip truly was like, I, I think like the turning point in my last year of university, I was so stressed out. Well, so that was another thing was I actually was like bedridden or after the, in between the first semester and the second semester, I got so sick. I, and you know, this was over Christmas break. So I went home and I was so exhausted that like sitting up in bed to have spoonfuls of soup was too much and I just slept I slept for it was like three weeks or a month whatever it was and then went back to school and I was just like I was just a shell and but right before that I um everyone was telling me like you should go to yoga because it is great stress reduction. And I was like, I don't want stress reduction. I want a good workout. <laughs> and so I saw some silly Vogue article. It was like, hot yoga is a great workout and <laughs> stress. So I was like, amazing. Yeah. I'm in. So there was this studio around the corner from where I lived, and it was like so basic their way to cool the room was they just opened a window (laughs) and it was like I honestly forget how they heated the room but I just remember it would be so hot and they didn't mop the floors (laughs) afterwards which I did not I didn't think anything of I just thought oh yeah just don't put your mat down in a sweat drip yeah and I I always took like one of the first classes after lunch. So there were no sweat drips that I saw putting my mat in. Anyway, so I had like started doing that and like I felt good. I liked the feeling after a class, but I definitely was not like, like right away. No, like and no interoception going on like whatsoever. I was still so in my head that it was only, I guess it was like a year later, I, when I was living at home, Moto Hamilton, well, it was Moksha Yoga Hamilton. And um, so I went into Hamilton and I loved it. I became an energy exchanger. And I remember um, there was one class shortly before we were going to leave to go to Australia and we were in camel like this back bend you know front of your chest is exposed and then I came for like you know sat down on my heels and I remember feeling like this overwhelming urge to cry I was like why like no one said anything sad and that feeling of wanting to cry like it stayed with me on the drive home and I was like what is and I actually like I cried on that drive home and I remember I emailed Amy, um, the owner, and I was like, I just like, 
can't believe this happened. I on, like, I don't even remember what I said to her, but essentially just, I got this, this urge to cry and, but it felt so good. And she was just like, yeah, sometimes that happens. <laughs> And just like, just like, not like, don't be freaked out. Like, it's okay. Um, So I had that experience. And then we went to Australia. All the stuff that I thought how it was going to go was not going at all. And like major stuff of like, oh my gosh, we can't find jobs. And we're driving to a job and it's to pick oranges for $20 a bin, which I'm thinking, oh, well, I'll pick like four bins easily myself in a day. Um, Dan and I picked three between the two of us. Oh, wow. And that was like a 10 hour day. It's like, I had never done manual labor before. Yeah. Like I had never even mowed the lawn. (laughs) And and like Dan you know Dan had it was and we picked so we picked oranges we picked mandarins we picked pears um we tried cherries but it was so terrible we were like we only lasted three days um and the best work we got was like being a server for me server barista learning how to actually make espresso style coffees yeah. was a whole other thing. I got to the cafe and they're like, can you make coffee? And I, I was like, uh, yeah, my first job was Tim Hortons. <laughs> of course I can make coffee. I just pour the grinds into the, into the filter. <laughs> I'm like, how fucking hard is that? Like, honestly, people don't know how to do this. And then the first day I was like, oh fuck. Um, I don't, like, this is yeah. coffee. It's like, this is pulling shots. This is like, you know, getting the milk, the different consistencies. So that was the best job. Um, Dan was a dishwasher at that time. In Australia, it was like all the stuff that I thought we were like, how we were going to make money, how we were going to get around. Like, yeah, it, it did not go that way. Um, and it, so it showed me, okay, you can have this plan. You can like plan to the tiniest little detail and it doesn't matter because shit's still <laughs> not work out. Yeah. And then I remember when we were in Margaret River, which is a wine region. That's where I was a server slash barista and Dan was a dishwasher. He didn't work in the wine industry there. And we lived in a tent for a couple months at a caravan park. So like a trailer park. Yeah. And again, outdoor communal kitchen. It had corrugated steel showers outside and our bedroom was a tent. Mm -hmm. Um, When we're at this caravan park, um, of course, there's like other travelers there. And I remember meeting this couple. They were from Adelaide, which was um, in the state over. And they drove. And this is, I guess, what they do every year where they live in Adelaide. But then during um, the summer and like 
or going into the summer, um, they came out to Margaret River and they painted houses and they lived in a tent and he was um, a big wave surfer. So he gets towed, he would get towed out. Right. That's terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) So like, you know, definitely there's some like adrenaline, Mm -hmm. you know, chasing there. Um, But I, and I saw like, I'm like, they're happy and they paint houses. Yeah. Like that was like, I, I mean, this whole, I was like, oh my God, I'm so worried. I'm going to sound like such a brat to Megan. But (laughs) I, I remember just being like, holy shit. Like you can be an adult and not do the, like, I have two kids and I own a home and I drive to work and I do this. And it was like a real moment of, oh, I can decide what I do. Yeah. And so that's all going on at the same time that Dan and I are having these fights that like we literally are sleeping in the back of a station wagon. Yeah. And we have to figure out like how to. Yeah. There's no slamming the door and and running away because there's nowhere to go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's literally nowhere to go. And, um, I, I do remember in in the two weeks after we left his aunt and his uncle, I was like, I'm going home. I'm booking a flight back. I can't do this. Yeah. And I really don't know why I stayed. I was very like, nope, I'm, I'm, but this was also my MO of like, Oh, I want to like see how much you love me and how much you want to fight for me. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to threaten to. Leave. <laughs> <laughs> I love <And> the voice. <laughs> so I, yeah, I really, I don't know. Like, there wasn't like one specific instance where it was like, oh, now we can have a disagreement without this eruption. It was like, years of figuring out how to communicate and even just that you don't have to share the same opinion yeah you can disagree and that's okay yeah I don't know I think I think definitely yoga played a part of it and I think like definitely a huge part was that it was Dan was working on his own stuff at the same time I was working on mine. I think it would be very different if it was just one of us. Right. And it's like, okay, well we're kind of like butting into this wall. Yeah. Uh, And then you, so you guys go through this, I mean, kind of intense experience together. You come out on the other side and then, so how did you sort of transition, you get back and then decide like, yoga is what, yoga is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, so when I was in my last semester of university, I was like, okay, what, honestly, what am I going to do after this? And I was like, okay, I'm really liking this yoga thing. And then, you know, I fell in love with the Hamilton studio. And I remember, 
couple teachers were like, oh, well, like, would you ever go to teacher training? And I was like, I was like, really? Like, you think like <laughs> I could go to teacher training? And they were like, yeah. And I, it still felt like the thought of being a yoga teacher, it, it felt like, no, no, no. Like someone needs to like bestow this honor on me. Like, <laughs> I, you know, like, and so we we're in Australia and I'm still like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And, but I'm, I was practicing along with Ted and Jess's audio on my iPod. And, um, and then, so we were house sitting for this woman one afternoon, like Dan and I were doing yoga in the yard (laughs) and, uh, the neighbors came by and introduced themselves and they were like, Hey, do you want to come over for dinner? And I was like, fuck yes, because this house is filled with, filled with mice. <laughs> and so we went and like had like, it was so fun and they were awesome. And somehow we got talking about yoga and she said, oh, you, um, you're, because we were driving up the coast. They were like, you should stop in Gold Coast and take a, take a class at, you know, the studio and you know, they run teacher trainings and I think you'd really like it. And so we went to the Gold Coast, which we did not know is essentially the Vegas of (laughs) Australia. Like it's, it has beautiful, stunning beaches. I don't know, looking back, if I would have actually wanted to spend a month there. But anyway, we went and I took a class And at the end, I was like, I would like to sign up for your teacher training. At that point, it was one of the craziest things I had ever done. I had no idea how we were going to pay for this. And that was also at the period of my life where I was like, well, I want it. So I am just going to do it. And I'm going to put it on my credit card. Yeah. Uh, Which looking back, I'm like, oh, God, I'm really glad that worked out. But it could have gone terribly. Um. (laughs) But we, so I signed up and it was still months away. So we were then like, okay, we're going to go and fruit pick and that, and like, we're going to fruit pick and like for enough that we pay for Alicia's teacher training. And then we also make some cash. So I did that teacher training and I was like, okay, I'm going to be a yoga teacher. Um, and at that point, Dan had also like, he was toying around with the idea. And then it was also in Australia that he decided, okay, he wants to go back to school, um, for viticulture and enology, grape growing and winemaking. And so it was in Australia that he applied and then got accepted to Brock's program in St. Catharines. So we didn't know anyone in St. Catharines. But I was like, hmm, I'm just going to look and see if there's a moksha studio there. And the studio opened July 1st. So I, yeah, I ended up doing the moksha teacher training. And that was, oh yeah, that was, no, it was in Victoria in June, for the month of June in 2012. 
I did my practice classes for Tracy and because she was a new studio, like she needed teachers. So I remember doing my 10 practice classes for her and then she's like, okay, um, yeah, I'd like you to teach full time for me. And it was in that moment where I was like, wait, 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 wait. I didn't realize that was not the option. That was not an option. Like, I just thought that's what's happening. And it was kind of this like, oh shit. Well, I'm glad that worked out. Yeah. Um, and so I just, you know, taught a lot. So I taught 10 classes a week for her, sometimes more. Yeah. And then I also, so then we ended up buying a car, which is the same car we still have. Um, And um, then I went and I taught like once a week in Hamilton. Um, And then I was like, okay, this is too much. Like driving back and forth, even just once a week. Um, So then I dropped it to like once every two weeks. And then it was once every month to Hamilton. And and, um, St. Catherine's, it was also just like a, period a huge I think period of growth if you'd want to call it that um that of just like still being the people pleaser who wants to get the best mark who wants to just do the best for the authority figure yeah just wants desperately to hear the praise yeah um and that and just like doing everything that I possibly could and like it really was for those years, like teaching yoga was my life. Like that's literally all I did. I didn't even, you know, the kind of music I was listening to, I was always like, is this, is this what I should put in a class? Like everything came back to teaching yoga. Yeah. It was, I remember like teaching a triple and taking a class and (laughs) it actually made me feel nauseous. Like I I need a break. Yeah. And I also just kind of piecing together, like carrying our rent and all of our regular bills by myself was like, it was doable because credit cards. Yeah. But it, like it was not really working. Yeah. Um, I had been following, you know, West Shore mm-hmm. as it was opening. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'll I'll pop by and like take a class and so then that's when I saw you and I um I think it was because I think I I don't know if I went back to the studio twice unless I don't know maybe I'm rewriting my memory like you said no 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 no. I definitely remember I feel like uh I feel like Darcy taught after you and I was taking or I don't know what, or maybe it was right before you. I don't know. I definitely, I knew because I knew who you were. And I was like, oh shit, Megan McDougal teaches at this studio and she is like famous. And (laughs) oh my God, like I was so intimidated. I was so like, oh my God. Um, And I was like, pretty sure we were going to the States. Yeah. We had this whole plan of like, Dan had already booked um, uh, Harvest down there. 
Um, but there's still a part of me that's like, well, maybe I should kind of put some job feelers out there. Yeah. And so um, Darcy had talked about, oh, like maybe you want to sub, like maybe you want to come up here for a month and sub or something yeah. because I didn't have a work, like a visa where I could work in the States. Yeah. And Dan um, was going to work for $14 an hour or something stupid like that. I think actually it was 12. I think his contract was 12 and it got <laughs> up to 14. Um, but that's, that's also the wine, the wine industry. Um, and so we got down to the States and I was like, holy shit. I <laughs> crossing into the States, we were questioned for like an hour, maybe a little bit more. And it was really scary. It was because it, I didn't like, I was like, we're not doing anything wrong. But yeah. it was like questioning Dan's visa. It was the only kind of visa that you could get crossing at the border. So it was just at the discretion of the border guard. Uh, and we were like, holy shit, we don't have any backup. If this, if we don't get through, he he has, you know, a job lined up, like what's gonna happen? <laughs> and so we ended up getting through in the like you know they were like stamped it and but we were like stamped the the okay in your yeah. passport but we were like separated um you know they talked to Dan and then they talked to me and it was like and then it's all open it's essentially like a ticket booth so yeah. you see this family beside you and they're like yeah you're not allowed into the states turn back and you're like Oh my God. <laughs> and so we ended, so, you know, we got the, okay. I just started thinking like, fuck, do I want to go through that? At, like every time I want to come back yeah. to Canada. That's just what, yeah. Um, and then I auditioned for the studio owner and we, you know, chatted afterwards for feedback. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh, this is, this is a repeat of what I was leaving and I don't want this. And then it was like, okay, well, Dan's got to go for his job. So I then, I remember just like bawling, bawling that night. Um, and being like, okay, we've got to, like, we still have to go down to, what was it like into the Willamette Valley um but I was like I can't do this like I cannot I okay we had this whole dream of we were gonna move to Portland and like blah 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 I can't do this yeah and Dan and he's like driving and I'm just like <laughs> and and then he's like oh my god what are we gonna do and just for like those hours we like and then he started to cry oh. and just like it was so what the fuck are we gonna do and I'm like okay here we are in the states Dan's making $14 an hour I can't work yeah so I messaged Darcy and was like hey are you still looking for a teacher and she said oh my god I'm so sorry. 
I totally misinterpreted what you said because she told me, oh, once you cross into the States, let me know how everything's going. I took that as just like a, oh, I'll just give you an update. Yeah. Um, and I guess she meant that as like, are you going forward with your US plans or do you potentially want to come back? So when I said, oh yeah, everything's like, great, we're continuing on. She thought, okay, I'm not going to consider her for anything anymore. I need to start looking elsewhere. Right. So she ended up hiring a teacher for a position. And she's like, I don't have any subs. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> what am I going to do? And I, I, like, I stayed in bed. I cried. I did not know it. I just felt so I just felt like a giant failure. Like, okay, we had this dream we were working towards and should I just force this to happen or what should I do? But like make $14 an hour as the only income coming in. Like we can't make yeah, that work. Like, yeah. Like we can't make that, we can maybe make that work for like a little bit, but like, what are we going to do after three months? Yeah. You're kind of stuck. Um, not knowing so then what what happens next well so then I Darcy sends me an email and is like if you still want to teach here call me immediately (laughs) (laughs) and so I so I went from like holy shit sob just like you know, crying so hard, your whole face <laughs> is puffy and you feel nauseous because you're so dehydrated um, to then, oh my God, there's this huge glimmer of hope and possibility. So I call her and she's like, okay, a teacher here just broke up with her boyfriend. She's piecing out, but she was teaching eight classes a week. I need another teacher here like now. So she sent me a contract. I like, yep, yep, yep. Good, good, good. Um, That we ironed that out on the Thursday. And then, so that weekend, Otis arrived. (laughs) And then Otis and I on Monday drove up to the island. Oh my gosh. And then, yeah. Again, just again, just like, okay, you're going to teach like, and there was a period where I was like, okay, I'm kind of tired of teaching, but I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I still like teaching. Like, I'd still like to teach a little bit, but like, I want a job. And so I did teach or not teach. I did work for Moto International for like a month and then I quit. And then little bit by little bit, I just started teaching less and less. Like, I mean, honestly, the huge, huge turning point was honestly like Dan signing a contract was life-changing. Like having a steady, secure salary coming in um, was, because, and I mean, at the same time, like I knew how many classes I would get. But there was still like that, oh, maybe in yeah. the summer it's going to decrease. And yeah. um, like getting this salary position just 
it shifted so much. Um, cause before then, like we were just surviving off of like a yeah. yoga teacher's salary. Yeah. You well, guys, it's not a salary, but it almost like, it almost seems there was like this constant pattern of just like doing what you needed to do to survive, which I don't think a lot of people would do that. Actually. I think a lot of people would throw in the towel and, and just like, like, this isn't, this isn't working, but could you imagine how different your life would be if you hadn't gone to Australia? Yeah. Like, like I think I attribute so much to that trip of like just being such a growing up experience and yeah. seeing that, you know, I, I mentioned it before, but like your plans or your dreams, like the things that you want, they might not happen they might happen, but like not the way you thought they were going to or on the timeline. And sometimes it's like, you've got to eat shit for a while. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's like, you've just got to like do what you've got to do and it's not going to be forever. But that is also so hard. Even teaching yoga classes and being like, uh, like just getting really tired of it. And it's still being this groove, this known that it's like, well, I, at least I know this, like, I don't know what else is out there. And like, maybe this actually is the best. And like, maybe I should stay here. And yeah. um, I think Australia was like a big, just try it. Just try it. You might, you might hate it and you don't have to stick with it. You can always go back to something else. But if you don't try something, you're never going to know. Yeah. And I feel like that, um, like being open to possibilities or like even like being open to moving somewhere else, it changes, it can change. Like there's no guarantees. I think honestly, that was the hugest Australia takeaways like there's no guarantees to any of this and so when it's good like you better fucking notice because <laughs> it might be gone tomorrow and if you're just in this like things can be so good and there's still something to nitpick on there's still something to be like oh well it's not like uh like <laughs> I don't want to have to make dinner tonight or like just like there's something you can always complain about but if you never take a moment like kind of like Ferris Bueller style of like you got to take a moment to pause and like look what's at what's happening because you might miss it yeah and um like I mean for Dan like for us to move to Vancouver Island like he the likelihood of him being a head winemaker in Ontario, a head winemaker for five years um, in Ontario, like it just doesn't happen because there's so the density, there's so many people who yeah. have been in that position for a decade plus and they're not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, being open to opportunities um, and also like it's kind of like that double dutch sensation of like knowing when to jump in and also knowing when to jump out because it's like very easy to just hold on to something like you know there have been so many times where we could have just 
held on to like this dream that we had. And it's, it's honestly wild to look back and be like, holy shit, if we had held on to that, like our lives would be so different. Even I, it still feels a little spooky that I um, left teaching yoga in December of 2019, not knowing yeah. what was coming. I, yeah. And just, um, I felt for months um, when the pandemic hit, like it felt like I had dodged a bullet, you know? And then there was also this part of me that felt really guilty that I was able to transition out and I had this dance salary could support us. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, well, not everyone is in this position. And there are so many just yoga teachers where it was a huge holy shit moment. Yeah. Um, and then there's me where I'm like, oh my God. It it's like um survivor's guilt. Have you? Uh, yeah. 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 Adam and I felt or talked about that as well in the sense that we, when it hit, we had, the military wasn't going to let people go. You know what I mean? Like we were secure. Um, almost immediately I shifted into working from home. We didn't have young kids that we had to like educate and be the teachers all of a sudden. No one we knew got sick and so yeah watching how hard it was for a lot of people being let go worrying about bills worrying about kids and and us being like well I mean for me transitioning into working from home has been one of the best things (laughs) that has ever happened to be at work so it's like but we consciously would not talk about how we were doing well around other people because we felt so much guilt about the fact that we were in such a place of privilege, which mm-hmm. I think kind of like maybe how you felt maybe a little bit. Yeah. So do you want to talk about like, maybe would you say this last year has been like a year of self-discovery or growth? Cause I know, and I could be wrong about this, but I've said this to someone else. So I should probably fact check myself that you had given yourself a task of writing every day. Right. And then I, and then I believe I read and I could be wrong that (laughs) if you didn't write or publish something, you had to pay your sister $10. Am I totally off the mark with this? Um, not totally, but, um, so I don't write daily. I mean, there's definitely like, I'm, I'm definitely writing, but I would be a giant liar if I said it was every day. <laughs> okay. um, but my promise is I have to send an email every week. Okay. So um, like I have to send, I have to send an email like on Thursday, like every Thursday I send an email. And if I don't send an email, then I owe my sister $10. And <laughs> I am like, no, I don't want to pay her. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of like this little way to hold me accountable because I am very good at wriggling out of things to myself. Yeah. And so I would say like this year, I think it's been a huge turning point in how I define success. Yeah. Um, and what does it actually mean to 
live a meaningful and fulfilling life. I'm still like sorting through that a lot. Yeah, can you just tell us all right now? So <laughs> <laughs> me specifically <laughs> looking for answers. Uh, so step one. Um so I definitely uh, I so when I made the decision to step back from teaching, I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I'm gonna stop teaching. And I mean I was teaching two classes a week. Like I was not <laughs> this is not but still, you're like giving up the identity as well oh you my mean? god I was I think when I was before I finally let go I was like once every two weeks or once a week or something even just two classes you're still you're still like a yoga teacher you know what I mean something oh and it's like I look back and like okay I didn't think my identity was so intertwined with being a yoga teacher and that was like a huge whoa um, of realizing how deeply ingrained it was and like just even like how I spent my time like still everything revolved around teaching that I, I cringe at how much time I spent planning classes I'm like why the fuck did I do that yeah like and like this feeling of oh I have to make a new playlist it's like oh my God, this doesn't, that was dumb. Yeah. Well, it's so, it's so true because yeah, you teach a couple hours a night, but really I used to almost dread the music classes because I would spend so much time putting together the playlist. So but probably by the time, if you were to give an hourly wage, like oh, I was probably no. making, <laughs> no. I was like losing Stupid. money. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so yeah, identity. So at first I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just getting this feeling like I need to step back from it. Yeah. And I was like, who knows? Maybe I'll come back. There was never this like, okay, I'm done forever. Mm -hmm. And, but I had also had like various experiences before where it was like the unknown was okay. I'm, I'm much more comfortable in the unknown now than I was a decade plus ago. Yeah. Cause Australia. And, yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Having, <laughs> eating a lot of shit <laughs> um, and just being very humbled and that it's like, I remember there I was picking fruit and I'm like, I have a university degree <laughs> yeah. and I'm making yeah. fruit yeah and like okay that's that's life yeah. like and it wasn't this like man like it's so unfair <laughs> it's like well sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do yeah and so but then like everybody kept asking me like well what are you doing after teaching like okay I know you're saying you don't know but like what are you doing <laughs> and then I was like that it just, it kind of felt like a fire hose. Like just all of a sudden, like I was like getting pummeled and I, I thought I was comfortable in telling people, I don't know, yeah. but I very quickly noticed that, oh, when I started saying, oh, I have like this herbal tea idea, people immediately like lit up and it felt better to yeah. tell them something. Yeah. And so I like ran with that idea for a little while and like registered the business name. And I even had a designer, like make a logo and everything. And then I realized I 
actually had more fun building this thing than I am going to actually doing this. And yeah. like just starting to realize the logistics and like how much it would be to mail stuff. And this idea was supposed to be direct to consumer and it was only going to be mail. There wasn't going to be retail. Yeah. And just like it was right before I put a bunch of money in to put in a purchase order. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, I just, yeah. It started getting this feeling of it's yeah. Well, it's just like you said, like with things like that, it's like you try and then like really like how else are you going to know? So you go through, you, we try things throughout life and it's like, Hey, that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit. And then eventually if you try enough things, something comes along and you're like, Oh, okay. But unless you try, how do you know? Even, I mean, like Adam got out of the military prior to us moving here because he was like, I've always wondered what it would be like to be a lineman. You know what I mean? He's like, he he was when he was like 16 or 17 or something like that. And then he quit it for whatever reason, joined the military, started his own life. And he just like this question. So he got out, tried it, tried it for, you know, like an, a year. And he was like, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like this. So then anyways, he's back in the military, but it's like, how else will you really know unless you just go through the motions, at least down the line a little bit, knowing that, okay, if that doesn't work, I can just switch gears. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, even to that point that then maybe the thing that you were like, eh, I don't really know if I like this. You're like, actually, there's all these things that I really liked about this. Maybe I don't like everything, but like, there's enough things that I want to go back to it. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened to him. Yeah. So would you say that, I mean, the the pandemic, I guess, is a blessing because people can't really be like, well, what are you doing now? Because nobody's doing anything. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, actually, I was, I've been talking to a few other um, women specifically about this of, um, well, so now I'm back in this, like, so I don't have a job. And, <laughs> uh, and, and this guilt, honestly, of, okay, you know, Dan makes a salary where we don't have kids. We don't have a mortgage. Like we don't own a home where we're, um, we have these expenses and we're able to live comfortably. And maybe we're not always going to live comfortably. Like maybe the circumstances will change, but I, I like, I feel so weird for saying this, but I genuinely enjoy taking care of the house and making meals and um oh my god even still I feel awkward talking about it um and this like because it comes up of like so what do you do and I know like when when things start opening up and you know Dan has these winemakers dinners and I go and then someone turns to me and says, and so what do you do? And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) um, and cause it's, and, and then I also noticed the internal, like wanting to justify myself and wanting to be like, I don't just sit around all day. And like, I'm still a useful person. Yeah. Yeah. I know that that's coming. Um, and I also see, so then another piece to it, 
is that, oh, and I feel, I feel like a, a bad, like I'm not supposed to say this, but I also feel, I felt the most pressure, if I could say pressure, from other women of like, no, 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 no. Like you're not choosing right. You're supposed to want the big career. Yeah. You're supposed to want um, like, or like, okay, like we'll, we'll give you a pass if you have kids, but if you don't have kids and you don't have the big job and you are happy yeah, about those things, like we don't like that. Yeah. Well, it goes against everything that's rammed down our throats in terms of like what we see kind of like what you said, like what success is or what it means to go through your life and you check off these boxes and people don't like things that are unknown. You know what I mean? So like, just because you're doing something different to them, uh, it it seems wrong, but I, I like, I can relate to that. Yes. It, it, there's so much of, of what is that fear of other people's Bopo, <laughs> you heard that fear of other people's opinions and how we we get so sucked into that. But yeah, I I can see how there would be that internal. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. I guess like pulling in in either direction. This is what I what people expect me to be, but this is what I'm happiest. But this is what people think happiness is, and yeah. So I think it's I think it's awesome. I think you're still. I mean, I'll let you speak to it, but yeah, you're you're putting out a ton of really positive and intellectual information into the world. I think, and and really like why. I mean, why shove yourself into a job that you hate or something you don't like just because that's the that's the norm? You, like you said, you don't you don't have a mortgage, you don't have car payments, you don't have you know what I mean? Like you guys are happy. What's the what's the big deal? Yeah, it's like well, I and I think it's I mean because then it's you know Dan and I've been together for um, a number of years and. We're at that certain age where, you know, it's like, so are you starting a family or are you not? Like, what are you doing? I think it's so intrusive. Sorry. I just like, I, it drives me crazy. It's like, um, actually it's like none of your business for one. Maybe we don't want kids for two. Maybe we can't have kids for three. Uh, and it's actually a really personal question that I don't think people realize they're asking anyways. I, I, um, before I forget this, um, I read, I think it was a Lori Gottlieb. I don't know if I'm saying her last name, right. (laughs) Um, but she, she's a psychotherapist or a psychologist. I I forget exactly, (laughs) but she said that when someone asks something like that, or like, when are you getting married? Or like kind of these like really touchy things, um, that, asking back like why do you ask is it opens up this like because usually it's just like that person and I had never thought of I was like you're that asshole that's pushing this on me and I and she opened it up opened me up to like this thing I had honestly never thought about before but that it's like that person found so much meaning in being a parent or, you know, so much um, joy in being married or whatever it was that they want that for you. 
And it can then open up this other conversation that gets stunted when it's just like, well, I don't want kids or, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then you say, but you'd be such a great mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I, um, I mean, that was fascinating to me that when I was teaching, I was getting asked that a lot yeah. of when, like in every iteration. And so I feel like this last year to bring it back to that, it's like been getting comfortable in that people are going to judge me for everything and yeah. anything. And like, even if I do the thing exactly how they say that I'm supposed to do it, I'm still going to be judged. Yeah. And it's like, even with social media, I had the, I don't know if realization is quite it, but like social media is not real life. <laughs> it's not at all. I just decided, okay, you know what? With social media, I just want to have fun with it. That's all I want to do. Yeah. Uh, I just want to like to post photos about the, you know, dessert that I bake and the flower that I saw and the stuff yeah. that brings me joy. Because and you waving at your uh, people on your walk. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, I felt like I just want to try and make my little corner of the internet um, to be more joy because honestly, like, and maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this, but I don't think with social media that we're really going to change anyone's minds on really big, dense, complicated topics. Yeah. And that, that happens in conversation and social media is not a conversation. It's just not. Yeah. And I feel like th there's, and, and not to like be Pollyanna, like it's like, I felt like for me, I needed to like see that there was like some good still yeah. happening somewhere in order for me to like still be able to check the news. Yeah. And, and really real and authentic as well. So not, yeah, yeah, yeah. not like the, you know, everything is perfect. Blessed life. <laughs> like hashtag oh God, no, 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 it's no. like, it's very, what, what you put out is, is very authentic, I think, and genuine and, po and happens to be positive and funny and smart and all those things. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm very, <laughs> that's such, that's a very, um they compliment uh and I'm glad that it comes across that way because there's still part of me where I'm like oh my god these people are gonna think I'm this spoiled brat who doesn't have a job and here I am just saying like that's totally the story sometimes in my head of like here I am taking a walk at 10 a.m <laughs> while you have to work and you're just you know like it's like oh my god Ooh. um and so then I started like, I, and I honestly don't really even know where the emails came about. Um, I knew like I, I had kind of always wanted to write ever since high school. And then I was like, why not just do it? Why not just do it in this like 
very, so what I learned from my, you know, herbal tea ordeal was bare minimum costs as you can Mm -hmm. and then grow. Just keep doing this thing and you will then start noticing, oh, well, I don't really actually like writing about this or starting to kind of hit some kind of a groove. But if you, I just find like, if you keep waiting and thinking like, well, should I write about this or should I do this or should I, like, if you don't try anything and you kind of keep getting locked in this thing, well, one, you're never going to do it. And two, um, this is totally a Seth Godin. He's like a, a marketer yeah, yeah. And a writer. And so his, this still blows my mind. His um, idea of that his writing is average and that like, so what that means is there is a portion of his writing that is above average and it's great and it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a portion of his writing that sucks. And, but he can only get the great stuff because of the sucky stuff. And it just happens like the more that you write, the more that you write, like the more that you do the thing, the more of the thing that you have, and then the cream starts rising to the top and you're still going to have the sucky stuff. Yeah. But that's the law of averages. Yeah. Yeah. But even just like the ability to do something consistently and, and, and especially for like starting out with anything, you know what I mean? No one's going to be perfect right away. And, and then you're building, like maybe over time your average gets higher, but, or, but you're still going to have bad days, but it's like the ability to just show up and try, you know what I mean? Over and over and over. And unless you do that, then you're not going to have the good days. If totally. That, like the great and days. It's like, I, you know, being, um, what you might call a runner of like, Oh, I didn't like this. I'm going to slam the door and I'm going to run away. Yeah. Um, that it's like staying in the suck, staying and like continuing just continuing to do it and kind of letting the expectations of like, this has to be the most amazing thing I've ever done. It's like when you are I like in my experience doing this thing more consistently, um, it also starts to take the pressure off that each individual thing has to be perfect and amazing and the best. And that, you it starts being so much more manageable like of essentially chunking it down yeah um and so do you so what's your process for writing I used to do twice a week and then I got to a point where I was like I am dreading doing this and I'm noticing like my tendency to make everything now about writing okay um you know, just like, like, oh, I could write about that. Or, oh, I should write about this or yeah. Totally. And it was like, and so then I just decided I'm like, no, I'm going to go down to one a week. And it's like, just even that has changed so much. And do you sit down and typically write the full thing in one sitting like Monday morning? Like what, or do you just, whenever, are you structured in your process or are you more of, "Ah, I feel like sort of sitting down and writing today? Um, it's kind of like, so what I've found is that I'm almost working 
on something essentially starting the week prior. So the, the prior Thursday, it's like kind of because I'm just writing. So I have this thing where they're not quite my daily, daily writing. Um, but most days, most yeah. days, <laughs> I write 750 words and I just write, I just write about like the stuff that I'm thinking about. Like it's like, it could be journaly. It could be, um, you know, I listened to this podcast and it made me think about this and I'm just writing. Yeah. And then, um, I start seeing connections with like, I listen to another podcast and I'm like, Oh, that fits. Or I go back and I'm like, Oh, actually that thing I was writing two weeks ago. Um, it relates to, to this podcast I just listened to or this book or whatever. And so it kind of at times feels like very beautiful mindish. Like it's like <laughs> early. Um, and, but then typically like I, and then, it's interesting because sometimes I sit down to write and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to work with this chunk that I've already written. And then it actually turns into something completely different. And then I like, um, throw that other piece. I never throw it away. So something that I, that I do, um, it was a technique from the writer, Laura Belgray. She's more like, um, kind of like marketer. Yeah style um but she calls it like Brooklyn for coffee uh but so you have whatever you've written and then when you're editing instead of deleting it just copy it and put it essentially below the fold or like put a line and then put mm -hmm. it underneath yeah. so then you can always put it back but um a lot of the times it stays there it stays in Brooklyn yeah um and that I think like yoga teaching um because I mean the other thing is like everything that you do the skills that you've built from that previous thing even if you don't know how they're going to transfer like they still are there for then your next thing yeah. or the thing that you learned in your previous role and so with teaching yoga I feel like all the the like thematic stuff mm -hmm. and editing stuff down that way and knowing when to distinguish like okay when is this one class and when am I like actually trying to fit like three classes into one yeah <laughs> <laughs> which I mean for me I'm like oh my god I want to like give you everything yeah yeah and um I mean even still like the last email <laughs> had nine links in it um but I'm like but sometimes and so there's certain like so last week I just felt like oh my gosh like you know I have all these things that relate like I actually had more but I was like okay I'll yeah. like I need to know <laughs> when to call it um and this week I'm like okay I'm feeling a little more tired and so it's like yeah I just I have the feeling going in that like it's going to be a shorter email and I don't quite know what it's going to be which feels a little uncomfortable because for the last few weeks like 
for a really good chunk, I was on this streak where I knew what I was writing about and I was working on it for days leading up to it. And I'm like, okay, it's Tuesday and the email's going to go out Thursday. (laughs) I don't know what it's going to be. And sometimes I send them in real time and sometimes I schedule them. Yeah. Um, and so I haven't quite like, I don't have like a, okay, this is what I do. And and it's like a little more kind of throwing it at the wall. Yeah. I feel like you've, you've done such a shift from being someone that's like, I need to know the result. I know, and I need to know what this is going to be like, this is, you know what I mean? Like, so this is how it is. And then, and then you've, I don't want to say you've completely flipped, but how, how much you've changed your approach to to literally life in general you know what I mean I'm going to be a doctor I'm going to be a journalist <laughs> um, like you know what I don't know and that's okay and I'm just being and I don't need to do anything like in terms of career wise or marriage wise or kids wise um, to be successful so it's it's so interesting how your how your life trajectory has has changed so much what you thought it was going to be or maybe what you wanted it to be when you were when you were younger it's just crazy yeah everything that you said maybe reminded me of um so growing up it was very typical in our house to hear like okay well next week when things are less busy then you know, we'll do this or then we'll be relaxed or, you know, it was always in the future. Yeah. And, um, I don't know when it was, but I, I just remember being like, I don't want to live. Like it's always the next, because then next week comes and it's another thing. And, um, I feel like definitely yoga and mindfulness, like so much, played a part in like you know just like even noticing your life as it's happening instead of always planning and being in the future and like I'm a super planner like um we (laughs) when we went for Australia like I fully went in being like oh we're we're driving the whole country like Dan thought we were just going to stay in kind of one pocket. And I was like, why, why would I do that? Like I'm here. So why not just do this whole thing? And okay, this is how we're going to do it. And blah, blah, blah. And um, I've definitely eased up on that. Like over the years, vacations have become less and less day one, we're doing this and now day two yeah, and yeah. then within day two, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. It's really interesting when you change and it feels like a lot of people in your life stay the same. Yeah. And um, there can then be this feeling of like this, oh my gosh, I'm so behind everyone else. And it's like, everybody's still doing the same thing. Yeah. everybody's still complaining about the same shit they were complaining about five years yeah. ago. Um, and it's just, 
I don't know how I got into to this thought, but it's it's like it's never too late to start over or to like to do anything, even if it feels like the smallest thing or the biggest thing. Like it's only over when it's like it is over. <laughs> no, I, I yeah, I I relate so much to that my ex who you knew or know uh he used to always say like whenever I wanted to do anything whatever it was vacation or uh, it was always like we can do all that stuff when we're once we're retired and I was (laughs) I remember being like I don't want to wait to live my life when I'm you know 55 years old yeah like there's things that are definitely not realistic in the moment but for us to just go through the motions every day so we can, you know, buy a boat when we're 60. I was, I just remember saying to him, like, I don't want to live my life like that. I don't want to live for thir- like for 30 years down the road. And then, like you said, maybe, you know, something else comes up there and me, like, I don't know, maybe I get hit by a bus, like who knows what's going to happen in that time. So why not just try to enjoy what, like, not that it has to be a fancy vacation, but just try to enjoy what, whatever you're doing now. Um, so, yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely some careers where, you know, you're going to have a retirement. And I think what I've, I've seen like a lot of people within my parents' generation and, and then younger where they operate like, okay, yeah, like, you know, essentially life will start or I'll start having fun or I'll start enjoying when I retire. And then they're like, oh, um, yeah, so I can't retire like at this time or, or, or then the other thing is it's like, I've worked so hard and my identity isn't working. And then I stop working and like, I don't like that. I want to keep working. And I think actually there was a part of me where I um, was, I went through this phase where I was like, no, like your identity, like your sense of meaning, everything, like you should not get it from work. And then I, it's not quite like a moral taste bud, but like Jonathan Haidt's work um, with the moral taste buds and like essentially where if, if loyalty, for instance, was on a scale where if you're super, super loyal, for instance, you want to go back for Christmas with your parents, like you feel this duty. And if you're on the lower spectrum, um, maybe you, you, you just don't feel that or like, um, you know, or maybe it's also kind of like the group dynamics of like, I don't really want to be told what to do. Like, yeah, this is maybe getting into another moral taste bud, but it started making me think about like, okay, maybe it's totally fine for some people to get to have a lot of purpose and meaning from work, because that's just like how they operate, because yeah. like, they're always going to be working in some sense, like whether they're earning money or not. And it's also totally cool if you don't get any meaning or purpose from your job. Like it's yeah. it just kind of seeing again with this, like 
definition of success, like there's also no rule book for your life. Yeah. And it was a few years ago, like this huge turning point of just even noticing the leaves rustling in the trees Mm. when I looked at the window or like I noticed on our, the road that we live on that, um, Nootka, these wild roses grow on the side of the road. And we had lived here for years and I hadn't noticed them. And it was like, just that kind of thing of like, I want to, I want to notice these magical little things that are happening in the world. And that's not to say that like, you know, oh, like what I'm saying is no one should work and you should only (laughs) pay attention to the magical things, but that it's like, even in your job, even if it's like something feels like, oh, it's just such a drag. It's like, there's these little pockets of, oh, actually like, you know, I really like having, being able to have um, a morning coffee or whatever it is at home instead of on the road while I'm in, you know, all this traffic to get to work. Just these things of like it's I don't know it's like it's so the typical thing to say of like the only constant is change yeah but it's like I don't know it's always changing like I I remember someone had said I think maybe it was Laura Belgray um at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was sending out the emails of like in these uncertain times yeah 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 (gasps) And that it's like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. When were we in certain times? <laughs> yeah. Like, and but it's again this kind of like false sense of security of like, well, when I just get this, then everything will be okay. Like, yeah. and it's this if I just live my life the way, blah 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 wants me to, or this idea that I should, that it's like that there'll be some sense of security there, and it's like, okay, what happens if? There isn't like it's great if that's how you're doing it and you're enjoying it. Um, but what happens like if you don't? Yeah, yeah. I know you listened to that armchair expert. Actually, you're the one who told who I learned that about, and I love it. By the way, I listen to it all oh. the time. Um, anyways, and Dak, I feel like Dak Shepard talks about that a lot. It's like he has the money, he has the beautiful wife he has the amazing kids he has the career but it's like once you get to the top at the beginning of his career is like you still have to look at yourself in the mirror (laughs) and you might still not like what you see after after getting all of these things that you think are going to give you fulfillment um okay (laughs) we're at three hours oh my goodness okay so I I, I'm just gonna look at my little (laughs) I'm so sorry because I just I don't know how my text messages are going to my computer it's just the most bizarre thing um and I just saw Adam saying are you still up there okay so I wanted to I just want to see if there's any questions (laughs) I'm gonna skip over some of them I'm so sorry it's like here's the questions I'm gonna ask and then I spend an hour asking about your childhood (laughs) I was like Megan like we are not gonna finish this podcast in 50 minutes (laughs) I'm so sorry and there's so many okay um I'm just gonna pick one 
uh, one one of the questions, and then I'm going to do the quick hits with you, okay. and then, uh, and then we'll stop recording, <laughs> laugh at ourselves, and then and then I'll go eat dinner and let you take dinner. Okay. So my one question out of all the ones I sent you is, uh, okay, if you could meet with anyone dead or alive right now, um, where would you meet them? So who would you meet? Where would you meet them? And if you could ask them one question, what would it be? Um, so this was like the one question that I was didn't want to answer. (laughs) And I feel like, honestly, I, um, kind of like everything I've been thinking about, I would want to meet with my grandmother. So that's my mom's mom. She had her first child at 39. She had a career with Air Canada. She wasn't a stewardess. She was like in the office and she traveled all over the world and supposedly had, you know, a boyfriend who was a prince ah. in one country and another boyfriend in another country. And um, she was the first female pilot in her um, flight club. Yeah. Um, she owned a plane at one point. Um, but I knew her as my very proper grandmother. And she, I just always thought of her as, you know, like, you know, always had everything just so and like had beige carpeting throughout their house and like (laughs) um but then learning about her really after she died when I was doing my thesis my thesis was essentially about these legacies that my mom and my grandmother have left and kind of like this weight of them of like these incredible women who have you're done still things. asking yourself the question I know I know <laughs> and so I I feel like I would um so in talking to my mom recently about this guilt and kind of like can can I live my life this way right now like is this okay mm-hmm. and she's like well my you know my mom said that she went through the same feelings when she was a stay-at-home mom and she talked to my grandmother about it. My grandmother said, just enjoy your life. Just enjoy it. And so I feel like I would want to ask her, what was it like to be this woman who didn't do many of the norms like on the timeline I feel like this isn't exactly the question I want to ask but something along those lines um and just like like was she satisfied with her life I don't know I think she was it's like um she from the outside had like all the things and did all the things but then you start looking at the timeline and you're like, oh yeah, like that, <laughs> that was different yeah. at that time. of. Yeah. She's doing the exact same thing. You are only a different, different times. You know what I mean? Like you are, you are going against the grain of what people expect. And she did the exact same thing. It's just different. You're just doing different things. Okay. So I guess I would want to ask her like, how did you go against the grain and still 
and like not get not get bogged down with other people's opinions yeah and I don't even really know if she would have an answer yeah. it's just like well people but it would gonna... be yeah it'd be interesting to hear her perspective that's for sure because I'm sure she would be hearing things like you should be at home with your family like you shouldn't be you should be you know what I mean like taking care of your house you should be cooking you should be doing all these other things whereas people are telling you like you should be getting out you know what I mean you should be what are you doing get out of the house like what's your career so it's just interesting how I mean times have have shifted and yeah you really are going against the grain but what didn't uh, I don't know who you say this? Maybe it was Ted Grand. It's like you shouldn't, you should, don't let people should all over you. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I actually I'm gonna ask you one more. Okay, uh, and then and then I'll go to cookies. Okay, so what is a habit that you want to have but you haven't quite managed to form yet? This is the other one that I was like, oh, oh my God. I was like, okay, I'll pick, I'll pick one more. <laughs> I think honestly, honestly, and it's now become so apparent having this conversation, but I feel like truly the habit that I don't have that I am working on um, is not trying to seek validation externally, not trying to like, listen in on what other people's opinions are of me, what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that. And I'll just say, cause I, I, um, listen to this sports psychologist a lot. His name is Michael Gervais and he's like one of my favorites. Anyways, he talks, he's always asking questions about, um, to experts, you know, why do we care so much about what other people think about us and the consistent, thing that people constantly say is it's ingrained into us to want to belong to the pack you know what I mean and being outside of the pack was literally a life and death situation and and we still have that within us where it's like the panic that ensues or the worries that come or the anxiety or whatever that comes in thinking like I may not belong because these people said these whatever things, but I mean, uh, yeah. Anyways. Okay. That, okay. And I, can I say, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, um, I was just listening to a Huberman lab episode. Um, I forget which one it was, but he was talking about essentially like the neuroscience of attachment styles and he I don't know if he referenced Gervais or not but it was I and I just listened to it today so it is very timely that you said that okay yeah I feel like I I have more that I want to say um but this will be a nine hour conversation. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like, Alicia and I obviously should talk way more often <laughs> um, because yeah, uh, I just have so much to say and so much I want to ask. I'm skipping over 70% of my questions. 
Okay, so my quick hits. So really uh, just say whatever, like you can have a short explanation, you can have a long explanation. When I had, when I did this with Jamie, however many weeks ago, he was like, well, what's the rules? Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, there aren't any really, there's no rules. So, and if you don't want to answer it, that's fine. You can, nice. yep. Okay, so a book that you think everyone should read. Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt. H-A-I-D-T, um, and Gregory Lukianoff. Um, okay, a podcast that you're listening to right now. Um, right now, well, so today I listened to the last little bit of A Huberman Lab, um, which I cannot recommend enough. It is, he's a fantastic speaker and takes really big neuroscience-y ideas and distills them down into something understandable and is actually teaching you the mechanisms of things so that you can then apply that in ways that you see fit in your own life so that it's not like, okay, here's like what to do in this very specific circumstance. Yeah. It's more like getting you to understand the foundation rather than, oh, here's an example. Yeah, yeah. And then I also was listening to a Sam Harris episode, which I love Sam Harris. I pay for his podcast um, and his Waking Up app. And uh, he's also someone that I know that people are like, you shouldn't be listening to him. Yeah, he he creates like polarizing views for on people. Like some people really love him and some people just don't like him at all. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's again, this like, it's okay to listen to someone you disagree with. Yeah. And that you just because you listen to someone or respect someone doesn't mean that you agree with everything that they think or they do. The most important thing in life is? Um, to pay attention to it. Ooh. Okay. It all comes down to? I want to say paying attention. <laughs> I know. I'm like, these questions kind of are the same. Um, but anyways, maybe you have different answers. Um, yeah, it all comes down to... You can say paying attention to if you want. I'll say paying attention. Okay, yes. <laughs> okay, what I know for sure is... So can I say two things? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you want. The only constant is change. And, well, I actually don't know this for sure, because maybe, like, there will be some crazy technology where we can live forever. But I'm pretty sure we're all going to die. <laughs> yeah. And that it's just this, like, you know, I mean, some people find that, like, really depressing and grim, and other people find it this motivator. And yeah, I kind of feel like I fall in between. Yeah. Um, okay, I think I know this this one. A fork in the road for me was. Yeah, I, I feel like right before Australia of like, do I do I go on this trip or do I keep um, working at this terrible internship that I was commuting into Toronto three hours each way for? And I quit that and then went to Australia. That's, Although yeah, Australia that's was life changing. Life changing. Um, and then, and then another fork was, do I keep, do I somehow make it work in the States? 
yeah. or do I come up to the island? Yeah, those are major forks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> major. Um, okay, family is? Negotiable. What I mean by that is that it's it doesn't have to be an obligation. Like if you don't, like if you want a relationship to change or you don't want to go to, you know, the family dinner, you don't have to. That I also do feel like I am less on the loyalty spectrum of things. Yeah. And that um, I don't get this feeling of like purpose and duty from, so that's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then this last question, which I just think is so funny. Um, I put it in because... Oh, I did a podcast with my dad. I didn't publish it or anything. I just asked him a bunch of questions. And my dad is 100% one of the most like hardest working people that I know. And his was it all comes down to hard work and like just getting it done. Um, but I just think it's funny because like it's been such a, a hard work for you hasn't always been a positive thing <laughs> or at right. least younger. But so the question is, or the statement is uh, hard work means. Oh, that's so funny. I, um, when I saw this question, I didn't even think of like my aversion to hard work. Hard work means integrity. And I do what I say I'm going to do. And I say what I'm going to do like that where my thoughts, words and actions line up mm -hmm. and that's hard work. Yeah. We're almost done. Last question. <laughs> so, okay. So it's super easy. This one It's okay. If someone wanted to sign up for your newsletter, how would they do that? Oh, um, <laughs> this actually isn't so <laughs> as I'm like twiddling my hair and making a mustache with it. Um, oh, self-promotion. Ah. Uh, um, self-promotion. And I wish that I had, um, configured the sign up a little easier, but if you go to my Instagram, <laughs> you can get the the link in bio okay. um as they say that's basically the way to go that's the way to go okay I'm gonna yeah. put your am I are you comfortable with me doing that actually I should have asked yes. Yes. okay I'll, I'll make sure I'll uh, make sure I I put that just in case anyone wants the weekly not daily goodness oh god um, <laughs> okay I'm gonna don't hang up on me I'm just gonna okay. turn this off um so I will say a public Thank you. Oh my God. Remember when I said we'll only be 50 minutes? <laughs> and it's been like, wait, how long has it been? We started at, we started at four o'clock <laughs> my time. What time is it? It's been three and a half hours. <laughs> And it's funny because I was like, oh, I'm going to watch the clock, but I moved my screen. So like the, the time is over on this right side, but I moved you to the left. So I was actually looking to the left. So oh, I never no. actually, the first time I looked up to the right, we, we were already way over time. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, I'm so sorry. I was actually watching the clock and I'm like, we're still in my childhood. <laughs> kidding. Okay. I'm going to end this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't hang up on me. But thank you for having me. I want to just say that you are so 
hardworking to use your dad's <laughs> word. Um, and so like, I have been so blown away by your podcast and everything that you're putting out and what you're doing with mindset on mobility. And that, um, yeah, it's been amazing to, to watch all of this unfold and to be, to have a little part in it with you right now. Oh, that's so nice. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in, for listening. I know this was a little bit of a long one. (laughs) Um, I am working on that, on my brevity. And uh, it appears every time I do one of these, it gets longer and longer. And believe it or not, I actually cut out an hour of conversation. (laughs) Um, But Really, I said this at the beginning, but I'd encourage you to go and find Alicia on Instagram, sign up for her weekly emails, and she sends out a lot of not only really interesting thoughts, but things that she is learning, uh, book recommendations, she talks about food, she talks about literally everything and anything that you can imagine. So I'm going to spell out her name. So you can go and find her on Instagram. So it's Alicia, A-L-I-C-I-A, and then Anna Fritchuk, O-N-I-F-R-I-C-H-U-K. So you can find that link in her bio to sign up for her weekly newsletters. And then really quickly, I want to touch on one point that I believe was really a thread through the conversation and was definitely something that I took away was this ability to change ourselves. And Alicia briefly mentions neuroscience and essentially neuroplasticity. And I thought that would be a really interesting thing just to end on. I'm not going to go into it in any detail But I think it's a really important topic that maybe not a lot of people know about. So I'm going to offer this Reader's Digest version, so to speak. And if you feel like learning more, (laughs) you can sign up for the Mindset on Mobility course. (laughs) Kidding. No pressure. Um, Okay, so neuroplasticity. I'm going to read out two different definitions. So the first one is from Casey Schwartz. And the definition is neuroplasticity, the brain's natural capacity to grow new neurons, make new connections between them, and change the degree of influence one neuron might have on another, dialing up or down previously existing connections. Norman Doidge says, neuroplasticity is the property of the brain that enables it to change its own structure and functioning in response to activity and mental experience. So from the Princeton Review, it was once believed that after the brain developed in childhood, it remained fixed. However, scientists are finding that the brain is not a static organ. Neuroplasticity refers to the malleability of the brain's pathways and synapses based on behavior, the environment, and neural processes. In fact, the brain undergoes changes throughout life. Connections in the brain are constantly being removed and recreated. 
So as we learn more and more about the brain, and I say we, like the collective we as in society, not just you and me, (laughs) Uh, but we're learning that we have the ability to change our habits and our patterns. So there used to be this mentality that if you had a shitty, and I don't swear very often, anytime I swear, people are like, oh my goodness, she swore. While I don't swear a lot, the swear word I do tend to use happens to be shitty. Anyways, okay, so where was I going with that? So there used to be this mentality that if you had a crappy childhood or an upbringing that you were destined to relive those patterns and have this negative outlook on your life. Basically, we thought that if you were given a bad hand, that it was too bad, you're just going to have to deal with it for the rest of your life. But we no longer... And again, we, the collective we, no longer believe that's the case. So while our upbringing and the events in our lives have had a great deal of impact on us, we really can't blame others for how we're now living our lives because we have the ability to work through, I say trauma, but trauma can be something small like little T trauma or big T. And I don't want to downplay massive traumatic events in our lives because that is a big deal and and definitely impact us for a very very long time but there is the ability to move on even when things have been really hard and those really hard things maybe they change us but the point is we don't need to be stuck in who we were yesterday or who we were five years ago or 10 years ago. So Brandon Sneed from the book Head in the Game says, if the physical layout and function of the brain can be re-engineered, then that means that who we are can change too. We are no longer at the mercy of our brain. Our brains don't have to control us. We can control it. Okay, so that was so superficial, very intro, not a lot of depth to what neuroplasticity is, but I'm just going to leave it at that because it can be a really dense topic. But the point is what Alicia went through and who she was as a young person and the events that really came into her life and shaped her. She is not the same person that she was when she was in university. And some people listening might be like, "Mm, yeah, duh. But I think a lot of people really get stuck in their patterns and expectations of what they used to be and feel like they can't pivot and grow and change into something else. So this isn't just, you know, something you know, woo-woo that we're talking about, like the brain has the ability to change itself. And as Brandon Sneed said, we are no longer at the mercy of our brain. And I say that with the obvious caveat that, you know, there there are limits to, <laughs> to science. There are limits to what we can achieve. Um, but I think for the most of us, this idea of neuroplasticity should be really good news. 
Okay, so that is it. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, you can find me at Mindset on Mobility on Facebook or Instagram, and you can send me your questions, comments, concerns, and I will see you next time. Peace.